You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week four of the study In His Image. Today's teaching is entitled, God Most Just. Good evening, ladies. <laughs> Let's um, start with a word of prayer, and then we can dive into our chapter four. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to gather together here tonight, spend time in your word, to spend time with others who can both um, encourage us in our understanding as well as encourage us in our walk with you. Lord, I pray that you would help the distractions of the day to be fleeting. I pray that you would bring the ability to hear from you to our hearts and to our minds tonight. I pray that the things that I say would be honoring to you and only the things that you would have me to speak. Father, we um, again are grateful for all of your good characteristics, but especially for your justice tonight. I pray that you would speak your truth to us tonight and in the coming days this week as we continue um, in the next chapters of our study. I thank you for each woman here. I pray that her time at her table has already been an encouragement to her and that our time together would be as well. Jesus, we ask for your name to be praised and for you to be glorified, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. So good evening. It is a privilege to be with you again tonight and to spend this time in God's word together. If you were diligent in reading your chapter, and it sounded like you were based on all the discussion at your tables, you know that we are going to be considering another rather large and deep characteristic of God this week, his justice. So I hope that you came prepared to ponder the expanse and the depth of our God and to stretch up with me. Remember that illustration of us at a banquet table as toddlers trying to stretch up and reach. I definitely feel that tonight <laughs> as this topic is deep and hard for us to comprehend, but also so important in our walk of faith. Uh, remember that we aren't seeking knowledge just for knowledge's sake, but to increase our faith and to grow in our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And just an encouragement that the time that you spend in his word uh, during the week at home is never spent alone. He meets with us there as time and proximity are the keys to deepening any relationship. And I hope that the time that we spend together tonight will help to deepen your faith as well. First, I need to confess that defining justice is a bit of a challenge. I hope this is not the way I start every lesson, but it seems to be par for the course. Uh, the first few places that I looked, though, used the word just in the explanation, which I never find very helpful. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm like, that is not what I'm here for. Uh, the theologian A.W. Tozer says that human language staggers when we try to use it to describe God. So please know that while we are doing our best to examine these attributes, all of our words and definitions and analogies are going to be incomplete or fail at some point. This is because our God is perfectly and indescribably 
more than we can fully comprehend with our human understanding. So it's probably the English major in me, but sometimes I find it helpful to look at the opposite word to try to help me understand a word that is challenging and get some more clarity. So injustice, I looked that up, and that is when something is unfair or wrong. That's a little easier for my mind to digest. Therefore, when things are fair or correct, that is just. So we can see that justice is being in conformity with what is morally upright or legally correct. It also relates to what is merited or deserved. In addition, almost half of the time in scripture, this word just is used in the Old Testament. It's also 50% of the time translated as righteous. And that's because both of these words have the same root word, uprightness. So again, if justice is a little hard to wrap our brains around, you can, I'm not saying they're exactly the same, but in a sense, you can swap out the word righteous also if that helps with our understanding. As we read in our homework, Psalm 89:14 states, your throne is founded on two strong pillars, righteousness and justice. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. I'm going to ask you to picture that with me, what it's talking about here, because it's an amazing image. The strong pillars of justice and righteousness as the base or the foundation of his throne and of his kingdom. And not only the foundation, but as we know from our study, being just is an essential part of God's nature. The theologian Tozer says this so well, God acts justly from within not in obedience to some imaginary law. He is the author of all laws and acts like himself all the time. As the source of all justice, God holds both the ability and the prerogative to determine what is right and what is wrong. And his perfect law is where he shares with us the boundaries for morality. As Jen notes, all of Psalm 119 for example, this is just one place, but that whole entire chapter is devoted to extolling the beauty, blessing, and goodness of his law. It is a good place to begin realigning ourselves to the narrow way. However, here in the current American church, we are a bit uncomfortable with thinking and talking about the justice or wrath of God. But I'm going to ask us to not shy away from what scripture teaches us. Remember that part of our purpose here together is to reform and to remind ourselves of the truth. Each of us needs to be prayerfully on her guard against devising an image of God in our thoughts, which is patterned after our own wishes or desires. While it is popular to focus solely on God's love and grace, that is not the fullness of who he is. Once again, I'm relying on a theologian, this time Arthur Pink, who can help us face this head on. He describes it this way. Others harbor the delusion that God's wrath is not consistent with his goodness and so seek to banish it from their thoughts. But as we turn to scripture, we find that God has made no attempt to conceal the facts concerning his wrath. He is not ashamed to make it known that vengeance and fury belong to him. 
Let's look at just one of the passages from our homework, Deuteronomy 32, verses 39 to 41 in the New American Standard. This is God speaking. See that now I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can save anyone from my hand. Indeed, I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I have sharpened my flashing sword and my hand has taken hold of justice, I will return vengeance on my adversaries and I will repay those who hate me. Pretty strong words. The wrath of God, his delivering of punishment and bringing about justice is just as divinely perfect as his faithfulness, his power, or mercy. We tend to think of these seemingly opposing parts of God's character as being in conflict or unable to coexist. As we noted, that's why sometimes we tend to ignore the parts that we don't prefer as much as other parts. But this is where our human understanding is weak. Our infinite, all-powerful God is able to be so many things all at the same time. So here is an analogy that helped me with this week with this idea, and I hope it will for you too. A beautiful cut diamond with many facets. Some of you are privileged enough to have one of these on your own finger that you can take this illustration with you every day this week. Tozer says this about a diamond and God. God has no parts any more than a diamond has parts. God is all one God, and everything that God does harmonizes with everything else that God does perfectly because there are no parts to get out of joint and no attributes to face each other and fight it out. God's attributes never quarrel with each other. The justness of God isn't fighting with his love or his mercy. And even more than being in equal tension with each other like a seesaw, his justice is fully engaged at all times with all of his other attributes. This is why I really like this illustration of the diamond because it's all diamond, <laughs> all the sides, all at the same time. As you know, it is our practice in our study to see how these attributes are displayed in God and also present in the Son as well. And while we may not see as many references to God's justice in the New Testament, it would be incorrect to believe that it is eradicated when Jesus arrives on the scene. In fact, the entire New Testament is overshadowed by the certainty of a coming day of universal judgment. Jesus states this to the Jewish leaders in John chapter 5, verses 26 to 30, where he says, The Father has life in himself, and he has granted his Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge all mankind, because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to judgment. But I do nothing without consulting the Father. I judge as I am told, and my judgment is absolutely just, because it is according to the will of God who sent me. It is not merely my own. 
this is just one of the many times that Jesus speaks of the coming day of judgment. And he is the perfect judge. In fact, rendering to a person what they deserve is the very essence of a judge's task. And we see that the judgment for our deeds will be carried out by the Son according to God's will. Jesus is the world's savior and judge. Perhaps one of the reasons we tend to shy away from justice and the wrath of God is because we are so quick to minimize our sins. As Jen states in our chapter, we tend to offer lengthy explanations about our own not-so-sinfulness. We talk about extenuating circumstances to justify our own sinful actions. But as Pink says, we are ever prone to regard sin lightly, to gloss over its hideousness, to make excuses for it. But the more we study and ponder God's abhorrence of sin and his frightful vengeance upon it, the more likely we are to realize its heinousness. It is because of our sin and rebellion that we are under the wrath of God apart from Jesus Christ. In scripture, we see that God's wrath is something which people choose for themselves. This isn't popular, perhaps, but it is what scripture teaches us. Before hell is an experience inflicted by God, it is a state for which a woman herself chooses by retreating from the light which God shines in her heart to lead her to himself. Let's look at Jesus' words in John 3, verses 18 and 19, where he is referring to himself, the Son. This is a continuation, of course, of the verses we looked at the last time I was teaching on the love of God. There is no judgment awaiting those who trust him, but those who do not trust him have already been judged for not believing in the only Son of God. Their judgment is based on this fact. The light from heaven came into the world, but they loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. The theologian J.I. Packer says it this way, the essence of God's actions in wrath is to give men what they choose in all its implications, nothing more and equally nothing less. But we can trust in the fact that he is incapable of ever over-punishing or under-punishing. He is perfect and just in all his ways. We can also be so very thankful that God's justice means that no one who wrongs us or those that we love, no one who suffers an injustice due to our fallen world or being deceived by our enemy will remain in that state always. No one truly gets away with murder. God sees, he knows all the secrets and justice is always served in the court of God. It may not occur here on earth while we were still in our earthly bodies, but one day we will see his perfect justice on display. How comforting to have the reassurance that no injustice suffered goes unseen or unrepaid. Be encouraged, sisters, that the character of God is the guarantee that all wrongs will be righted someday. One example of this can be seen in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 5 and 6. But God will use this persecution to show his justice 
for he will make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. And in his justice, he will punish those who persecute you. So our final point to consider this evening brings us back to our central question. What is the will of God for your life? I know that these are well-known verses, but I pray that we can hear the words of Micah 6:8 with fresh insight. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Another version says to do justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be his agents of justice in the world. As American women living at this time in history, we no doubt have endured sexism and perhaps age discrimination or abuse or violence or some other injustice is part of your story. I am so very sorry. And I join you in wanting to see these wrongs be righted. That is the hope that we have in the perfect judge. And also, I think we can agree that we in this room have been gifted with many advantages. We can read and vote. We have freedom that many others do not. We can make decisions to share our finances or our time. The Bible speaks of a wideness in God's justice, repeatedly calling his people to seek it for the marginalized and the overlooked. In Matthew 25, Jesus, Jesus excuse me, speaks of the coming day of judgment when he will judge us according to our deeds done or not done to sojourners and strangers, to the hungry and thirsty, to those in need of clothing, to those suffering sickness and in prison. And that passage where he talks about separating the sheep and the goats ends with this sobering conclusion in verse 45. I assure you, Jesus says, when you refused to help the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. It's convicting. Do we believe him? On Instagram, I follow a group that's called the Women of Welcome. They describe themselves as a community pursuing compassion and Christ-like welcome towards immigrants and refugees. And last week, they shared the following post. What Jesus never said. Feed the hungry only if they have papers. Clothe the naked only if they are from your country. Welcome the stranger only if there's zero risk. Help the poor only if it's convenient for you. Love your neighbor only if they look like you. We act justly when we intercede on behalf of modern-day widows and orphans, when we secure justice for the weak and the oppressed. We bring God's justice from his kingdom into the world 
through our actions in these situations and many more. May we be the first to do so, remembering that we are doing it unto the Lord Jesus himself. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you are just. You do all things perfectly and well. Lord, we are trusting that you will bring about justice in so many situations. This week, would you also give us eyes to see those that we could help to bring your justice to? We thank you, Jesus, for all of the ways that you intercede for us and care for us and carry us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.